Father God, we thank you um, for the truth in your word that we discover today. God, thank you uh, that you're going to make that alive to us, that you're going to speak to us through it. God, we are ready and eager and excited uh, for everything that you're going to say to us um, this morning and through the rest of the week. Amen. We are complicated people with complex needs. We have a range of different needs. We have um, physical needs. We need to exercise to put the right food into our bodies. Right now, I have a physical need uh, for lots of Lemsip and paracetamol to make me feel better. We have emotional needs as well. We need people to talk to about how we're feeling, how we're going on. My emotional need now is mainly for my mother. When you're feeling poorly, no one will quite satisfy you like your mother. So what I really need now is my mum to come and to give me a hug. We have emotional needs as well. We have social needs. We need to have friends that we can talk to and be honest. My social need now is for none of you to be here. What I really need is an empty room. And in some churches I would get that, but not at P's and G's. We have complex needs. Uh, And along with our physical, our emotional, and our social needs, we also have uh, needs for our soul. Uh, Our soul has needs. Right back on the first sermon in this series, uh, we talked about uh, how we're made up of four different parts. Uh, The whole person is made up of four different parts. The first uh, is the will, the ability to choose between different things, our free will that God gives us. The next is the mind, our ability to think and to feel, the thing that makes us conscious and animate is our mind. Uh, And then we have our body, which kind of holds the whole thing together uh, and keeps us running in the same working order. Uh, And beyond our our mind, our will, and our body is the soul. Our soul is our core purpose. Uh, Our soul cries out for relationship with God. It cries out to know God and to be known by God. And it's our soul that keeps our will, our mind, and our body going in the same direction. It's the thing that keeps the whole show on the road. It's our soul that longs to honour and to glorify God. Uh, And so if we don't attend to the needs of our soul, if we don't keep our soul healthy, then our ability to keep our mind, our body, and our will going in the right direction uh, is hugely affected. Our souls have very real needs. I've heard the needs of the soul um, likened to the king on a chessboard. I don't know if you play chess. I used to play chess uh, when I was younger, but I was terrible at it, so I gave that up very quickly. I don't do strategy, and I don't really do thinking. I'm only do feeling. Um, so I gave up playing chess. It's worrying when your preacher says he doesn't really think about things. But never mind, I'm still young. But um, in, uh, on a chessboard, the king is the most important piece on the board. In a game of chess, you're trying to take someone else's king while protecting yours. So the king is the most powerful piece on the board, but it's also one of the most vulnerable because it has a very limited range uh, of movement. The, the health and the well-being of a king in a game of chess is determined largely by your ability to protect it. If you don't protect and keep your king safe, if you don't watch over it, uh, then it will be taken and the game will be over. Uh, Your soul isn't dissimilar to that. Uh, Your soul is uh, hugely powerful. Uh, It's hugely important to keeping your life on track and is determined by your ability to care for it and to meet its needs. We need to orientate our whole lives around caring for the needs of our souls. 
Kent Dunnington, um, an American author, says that we are limited people in every way, limited in every possible way, but our desires are limitless. In other words, as people, we're finite. We have a limited capacity, but the things that we long for, the things that we want, are limitless. We'll never fully satisfy them. We'll always want something new, something different, something that seems more substantial. Uh, And so, in our limited uh, beings, if we try and meet our limitless desires, we'll always be unsatisfied. The desires of your soul are limitless. They can't ever be satisfied. And so if you go uh, and try and meet them with your limited self, you will never fully satisfy your desires and your needs. Our psalmist this morning uh, is wrestling with how best to meet his needs. We we find him at the start of our passage uh, about to give everything up, uh, about to go into a spiral of sin. A psalmist writes, um, starting at verse 3, For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from the common human burdens. They are not plagued by human ills. The psalmist is failing to drink water. The psalmist is, um, is looking at the world around him, uh, and he it seems to him like everyone else is doing well. Like those who don't know God, who aren't in a relationship with him, are always doing well. Their world is in order. They are well-liked and well-loved. They're not plagued and burdened down by his concerns, but seem to have been set free into the world. Their lives seem much more interesting and much more exciting than the psalmist's life. I wonder if you've ever looked around, uh, maybe people in your home who aren't following Jesus, maybe uh, people at work or friends at school, and you see their lives, and you think, actually, their life looks better than yours. It looks more interesting, more attractive. They seem kind of carefree. The things that would worry you and concern you don't actually seem to worry them and concern them, and you, in some way, envy the life that they're living. You you want it. We... um, when we see that, we buy uh, into the lie. The lie that actually their life is as good as it seems. Everyone, whether they go to church or not, um, is always trying to project that their life is better than it is, whether it's with um, exaggerated stories uh, from their last holiday, from their weekend, uh, whether it's the stuff they put on social media. We're always trying to project and make our lives seem better. That's a common human condition. It's not something that's new, um, but something that's always happened, that's always taken place. And so we buy into the lie um, that their life is completely satisfied. We also uh, buy into the lie that sin offers us. Sin is always offering us um, things that it can never fulfill. Sin always overpromises and fails to deliver. There will be um, some people here who struggle with lust, who struggle with lust, and lust offers us intimacy without any personal cost. And that's an impossible thing to achieve. Some of us um, buy into the lie of gossip, that gossip will give us um, power and security and status, and that as we gossip over someone else, that puts us in authority over them. But gossip can never really deliver that. Sin is always trying to over-promise, but will always under-deliver. What's the lie that your sin offers you? What's the lie that you've bought and believed? The psalmist here is looking enviously at people who seem to have everything together, but the reality is very different. 
And as with all sin, there is a sin behind the sin. So the sin that often presents isn't actually the root of the problem. The, the, sin, um, the problem with sin isn't always the thing that we're doing, but actually that all sin is idolatry. When, we, when our soul has needs uh, and we try and meet them uh, in, a, in a thing or a place or a person that isn't God, we rely on something or someone else to meet our needs. We rely on someone else to provide for us the things that only God can provide. Uh, and so our desire will always go unmet. We engage in idolatry. We trust in something else to offer us the things that only God can give us. We rely on something else to give us the things that only God can give us. Idols creep in when we doubt God's ability to care and protect and love and provide for us. Idolatry comes when we doubt how God feels about us, when we doubt his ability to care and provide for us. What are some of the idols that you're allowing into your life at the moment? Some um, will spring to mind easily. Others will take uh, a little bit longer to start to work out and to think through. As I've um, been thinking this week, I've realized um, that I have two main um, idols in my life, two things that I uh, struggle with uh, in particular. The first, probably, um, is success. I have made an idol out of success. I long um, to be viewed as accomplished and successful. I want uh, one day to run uh, a large, growing, thriving church, and not um, only for the glory of God, but also so people look at me and they think that I do a good job. I have some of my um, self-worth tied up in my ability to be successful. I wonder if that's some of you here. Maybe you're chasing uh, promotions. Maybe you're trying to get um, good grades. And none of those things are necessarily bad things, but when you rely on that to meet a need that only God can fully meet. Because the reality is, is I could, in 20 years' time, uh, be running a large, thriving, successful church and still be deeply unsatisfied, deeply unfulfilled. That's one of my idols. Another, which I think probably runs slightly deeper than that, um, is the need for acceptance. I, I sometimes run my life um, as one long kind of PR campaign, a, a long charm offensive, where I try and get everyone on side and I try and win you round and make you like me. And some of you won't, and that will hurt me deeply. But I will nevertheless try. Uh, and the more you reject me, the more I will try, the more inappropriate my jokes will become, and probably the more you will dislike me. But, such is, such is the burden of one whose idol is acceptance. Even now, I'm winning you around and feeling accepted. It's like a sermon within a sermon, a meta-sermon. Very postmodern here at P's and G's. Um, but my, one of my idols, that was terrible, one of my idols is acceptance. I long to be accepted. Uh, I try and charm people and win them around. And there's nothing wrong with wanting to be liked. But when you uh, define your value and your self-worth by how other people view you, I know that when I, um, when I try and get the acceptance from people that only God can give me, then I'll only ever feel unfulfilled and undervalued because people will, will judge you on how good you are at the things that you do, your ability um, to provide good dinner time, conversation or whatever, um, and you'll never really measure up and match up to the standard that you want to aspire to. But when you choose to find your acceptance in God, when you choose to let him fulfill that need for you, 
then you'll know that you are overwhelmingly loved and cared for, that nothing that you could do will make him love you any more or any less, and you're suddenly set free because you've allowed God to meet your deepest needs. Where are you at setting up idols? Possibly for you it might be work. There's nothing wrong with working hard and trying to provide for your family, but but John Ortberg talks about um, work as a possible idol. Uh, When um, you miss important family occasions, when you miss uh, your children's concerts or your or birthday parties, and sometimes um, things have to be missed, but, but when actually it becomes a repeating pattern in your life and you're always choosing um, work over your family and over God, uh, and you start to justify it to yourself, you start to say that one day I'll slow down, one day I'll make time um, to get to know my children, when perhaps the thing that your children needed more than a new pair of trainers or more money in the bank account was to spend time with one of their parents. For some, possibly, uh, there's an idol of secrecy. You have um, dark, shameful things that you don't want anyone to see, uh, and you're willing uh, to lie to protect them. You're willing to dishonor God to protect the secrets that you have. Possibly it's gossip. We mentioned it before, where you're, um, you're willing to put other people down to make yourself feel secure and powerful. What are the idols that you've allowed to creep into your life? What are the things that you choose um, to meet the need that only God can truly meet? We all have idols. It's just whether we're able to spot them and to recognize them. There is a problem um, with idols beyond them being idols in themselves, and that's that we can't actually turn away from an idol. We can't turn away from an idol. We can, um, we can make uh, plans and strategies that will help us to not do the thing we're trying not to do. Uh, we can come up with clever systems that devise um, and will help us to keep accountable, but we can't actually turn away from an idol. So the, the way to break and defeat an idol isn't actually to worry about the idol as much as it is uh, to focus and fall in love more and more with Jesus. If we try and um, break an idol in our own power, in our own ability, we will always fail and miss the mark. But where instead we focus on Jesus and fall more in love with him, that's when the idol loses its power over us. When God starts to meet the need that only God can meet, that's when the idol looks utterly insignificant and insubstantial. You see um, in the Gospels that Jesus meets a man called Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a tax collector, uh, but an incredibly successful one. Uh, Zacchaeus had made uh, a living out of ripping people off, about acquiring incredible uh, sums of wealth for himself. I would imagine that Zacchaeus has paid the price for that uh, in terms of relationships with his family. Tax collectors were hated, so he wouldn't have had many friends. Uh, And Zacchaeus, um, this man who's made uh, an incredible idol out of money, uh, encounters Jesus. Zacchaeus is confronted with Jesus standing right in front of him and has a sudden shocking revelation that everything he's based his life on until this point is utterly useless, utterly, completely useless. He's been looking for money to fill the need of his soul that only God can fully meet. Uh, and so Zacchaeus meets Jesus and is so captivated and filled with love for Jesus that he turns away from all the wealth he's accrued. In fact, Zacchaeus says, I'll give back four times what I took from people. Four times. 
He's saying effectively, I will bankrupt myself to cut myself away from this idol because I'm now so overwhelmed. I'm so totally consumed and utterly captivated with what Jesus is offering me. And that's how you break the power of, a, of an idol. Zacchaeus didn't wake up one morning and decide to stop being a tax collector, but instead was confronted with the reality of Jesus, uh, of God's ability to meet his needs, uh, and so chooses to fall in love with Jesus rather than fall in love with money. Uh, does your life look like someone who's encountered Jesus in the way that Zacchaeus has? where you've been confronted by God's deep love for you, uh, his love uh, made flesh through Jesus, where you've, you've met the face of God. Uh, and so everything else in your life kind of counts as nothing in comparison, like Zacchaeus decided. Zacchaeus dismantles his idol because he's so convicted of the love of God. Are you more captivated by the power of Jesus than you are by the power of your idols? Are you more overwhelmed of the grace and the favor of God in your life than you are over your decision to gossip, over your decision to lust, to lie, to cheat? Have you encountered Jesus in such a way that all idols are utterly irrelevant to you? Our psalmist at the start of the passage is envious. He sees the world and thinks um, that actually everything goes well for people who sin, for people who don't respect God, who choose to go their own way. And we see the psalmist go on a gradual journey. Uh, he realizes that actually maybe things for these people aren't quite what they seem. Maybe the projection doesn't really match up to the reality. And he goes through a revelation. Uh, and we meet the psalmist in the temple again, where he's encountering God's. A psalmist says, when I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply till I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I finally understood their destiny. The psalmist looks at people who've made idols and he's envious and jealous. And he toys with entering that same path, with making idols for himself. And slowly he realizes that the idols will always disappoint, that his soul has needs that the world can't satisfy, it can't fill. It can't meet. Uh, and so in the presence of God, the world is reordered and put back into perspective. And he recognizes that only God can meet his deepest needs. That only God will offer him true life. wonder whether that's true for you today. As the week goes on, as the, um, the soul check challenge texts come in, Will you choose to enter into that and to recognize that only God can meet your deepest needs? Only God can meet your deepest needs. Amen.